Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. If you have a Bible, turn with me, if you will, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to look today at verse number 26 through verse number 31 and talk to you just honestly, uh, share my heart with you about some of the uh, passions that I have, but also some of the concerns that I have for us. And I think that Paul addresses them well here. And I look forward to walking that through. I don't know about you, but I hope <clears throat> that you've had a, a great start to the semester. I count it, uh, aside from knowing Christ and walking with him, I count it probably the greatest privilege in my life uh, to, to be a part of this family, that my family gets to be a part of this and that we get to do this together. What an honor and what a privilege it is. And so uh, I hope that you're having a great semester and looking forward to a great year together. It seems like a really uh, awesome and wonderful time in our life together as an institution. And so I, I look forward with great anticipation to what God has in store for us this year. So if you would, please, let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 1, again, verse number 26 through 31. The Apostle Paul says this, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let's pray. Our great God, today we boast in you and you alone. None of us has any gift, any power, any station, any privilege in life that we can delight in. But Father, you are our all. You are our everything. And I pray that, God, you would help us to realign ourselves, to readjust ourselves so that once again we might see, understand, and cherish what we have in you and who we are in you. God, I pray that you'd give strength, that you'd give clarity to me as I speak, that God, you'd use these words to encourage your people, faculty, staff, students, our entire family. God, I pray that we would be a people humble before you, hungry before you, seeking to live out what you've called us to do. And so God, we pray your blessings on this time. I pray that God, you'd give me accuracy and precision with your word and that your spirit might encourage our hearts today. We love you and we give ourselves to you in Jesus' name, amen. Let me start off this morning by asking you a question. Why is it that God has called you to serve him? I've been around this place for a very, very long time. I came through here. I watched this place as an outsider for a very long time before I enrolled as a student here in 2000. 
I was a high school student. I was wowed by this place. I saw people, great preachers, phenomenal teachers. I saw people going on the mission field, and I wanted to be a part of this family. I had that privilege in 2000 as an MDiv student and then as a PhD student. So I came through here, and I saw the patterns that developed in me. And I've been here officially now in some capacity for 17 years, and I've watched thousands of people come through this place. And I've seen the same kinds of patterns that happened in me and developed in me develop in a lot of students and a lot of people that have come through here. You see, the enemy has this way of taking things that quite frankly are and should be very, very positive and twisting them and perverting them in such a way that they become huge liabilities to us. God takes the encouragement that people give us and God takes the training that we've set ourselves to if we're not careful to twist it and pervert it in such a way. Let me give you examples. I can remember when I surrendered to the ministry and I decided that I was going to pursue my education, that I would come here and that I'd pour my heart out here. I can remember people in my church encouraging me, which is a positive, wonderful thing that we must continue to give each other. But I can remember that people would encourage me and they would say things to me like, man, you're going to be the next Billy Graham. And I can remember those types of encouragement well intended by lots of different kinds of people, but ultimately they were the types of things that I started to believe. How utterly foolish as I stand here today and tell you these types of things. It just seems absolutely insane to think that way. And yet when people say it to you again and again and again, that ultimately you can start to believe it. And I assume by based off of what I've seen in our student body for so long that you've received encouragements of your own because in your context as a church, it's a very special and wonderful thing when you leave a church to go prepare to study so that you can serve God. That's a rare thing in the life of a church and so therefore you're special. And because of that encouragement, we can start to believe those types of things about ourselves. And then we come here and the training that we receive that we need to receive and is a blessing also becomes something that the enemy begins to twist and pervert. We learn and in short, we get puffed up. And because of the encouragement, which is positive, and the training, which is positive, if we are disposed improperly to those two types of things, the next thing you know, you end up becoming someone who's arrogant, who's prideful, and the moment that happens, folks, we lose something that's absolutely vital to what it is that God has called us to do. And worse, we become prone to failure before the Lord. The enemy can do, use those things in profound ways. And so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he speaks to the church of Corinth. Now in the passage right before this, there's division in the church. Some say I'm of Cephas and some say I'm of Paul and some say I'm of Apollos. And you can see the puffing up taking place in the body of Christ. And Paul hits them square in the mouth with a reminder of who they actually are. He reminds the church of Corinth as he reminds us today that none of us have anything to boast in because God has chosen the nothings and the nobodies for Christ. And so with that in mind, let's walk through this passage of Scripture today. I'm not super fancy in the way that I preach. It's rather simple and straightforward, so let me keep it that way. First of all, note with me, if you will, in verse number 26 through verse number 28, notice that God has, in fact, chosen the nothings of this world. And that should be a reminder to us. Listen to what he says. You see your calling, brothers, that there aren't many wise. Time out. Pause right here. 
Every commentary that I've read on this passage of scripture rightly points out that Paul doesn't say God never chooses a wise person or a mighty person. It just says not many of them. God, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh. That is the way the world would look at it. In the world's eyes, in the world's economy, there aren't that many people among us that God called that were just absolutely brilliant. There's not many that were mighty, that is very powerful and impressive. It's not to say that God can't or won't use those types of people. It's just to be honest with the inventory of who we are. We are not that for the most part. There's not many wise, there's not many mighty, there's not many that are noble. That means to be well-born, to be born of a popular or a powerful birthright. That's not, generally speaking, who God chooses. But instead, listen to what it says in verse 27. Instead, God has chosen the foolish things of this world. That is, in the world's economy, in the world's structures and systems, God just has this tendency to take that person which is otherwise regarded as a fool. And he says he's done it to put him to shame. I'll come to that in a little bit. In verse 27, he goes on to say, God has chosen not just the foolish things of this world, but listen, he's also chosen the weak things of this world. He says in verse 28, the base things, that is the low things, the things that are despised, these are the ones that God picks from. I read this passage of scripture and I'm struck by how odd it is that God does this. God does things differently than I would do them. And he does things differently than I assume you would do them. So I tell people all the time, I'm a nerd by day, a professor and a, and a dean, and I'm an aspiring little league baseball coach by night. My two little boys are here with us today. I coach both of their teams in the spring and in the summer. I tend to carry the head coach responsibility. And here's how we do this. We show up for an evaluation. All the little boys come out enthusiastically, most of them with their gloves and their bats and their helmets. They all get five pitches to swing at. They all get two ground balls and two throws to first base. And we, all of the coaches, sit around with our clipboards and a list of these students, when their names are called, they come up and they go through all these steps and we evaluate them on a scale of one to five, five being the best and a one being the worst. And there are a lot of kids that I write, not only a one beside, but a nope beside as well. And then there's always that kid or two in the evaluation that is just amazing. This kid can really hit the ball. This kid can really field the ball. This kid can really throw the ball. And as I evaluate them, I go into the draft that night or the next night. And I've got those kids on my radar. The ones that I want are the ones that can hit. The ones that I want are the ones that can throw and that can field. I go after the strong and the mighty and the capable. And yet God seems to delight in doing the very, very opposite. God has chosen the foolish things of the world. And listen, this isn't just a point that Paul is making to us in 1 Corinthians 1. This is a principle that you find scattered across the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me give you some examples. Consider the fools that God has chosen. God chose Peter, an ignorant fisherman, Someone who catches fish, cleans fish, and sells fish for a living. And God called him to be his chief apostle. God chooses not only fools like Peter. 
He chooses despised people in the culture, like Matthew, a tax collector. Remember that he's a Jew, and a tax collector was a Jew hired by the Romans, and the Jews hated not only the Romans, but they especially hated their own people that would betray them in Rome's behalf. The tax collectors, these were the scum of the earth, and yet this is precisely the type of person that God would choose. The weak things, the little boy, remember this? In John's gospel, there's the little boy when the thousands of people are walking with Jesus and it comes lunchtime and they have nothing to eat and they have no money to buy and Jesus says, well, feed them. And the disciples say, we don't have anything. And so Jesus says, well, what do you have? They say, well, there's a little boy over here with five little barley loaves and two fish. That's about the equivalent of a couple hot dog buns and a couple sardines, folks. And you've got thousands of people. And Jesus says, bring me that fish. Bring me those loaves. And Jesus adds his blessing to it. And look at how he uses a weak thing like a little boy. A little sardine. God is chosen the nothings. Consider Mary Magdalene. In this culture at this time, a woman was not esteemed at all. And yet God chose her to be the one to see that empty tomb and to report that to the church. God has chosen the foolish things and the weak things. Shailene, yes, uh, two days ago in chapel, quoted from Luke chapter 18. This is one of my favorite passages where we yet again see this point. It's the parable of Jesus gives us of the two men that go into the temple to pray. One is the, one is the righteous Pharisee and the other one is the lowly tax collector. And the Pharisee goes in and he prays and he thanks God very arrogantly. God, I thank you that I'm not like this person and I'm not like that person and I tithe and I do all of those things. And the, the tax collector, it says, would not so much as look up to heaven, but instead he beat his chest and he prayed this way, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that that's the one that went down justified. Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah chapter 66, verse number one and two. Listen to the word of God here. Thus says the Lord. Listen to this. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where's the house that you will build for me? Where is the place that I will rest? For all of these things my hand has already made. And of all these things they exist. And thus says the Lord. But on this one, listen. On this one, I will look on him or her who is poor and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Southeastern, can I just say to you, don't be like me. Don't be like me that comes through this process and comes through this place with all the rightly intended encouragement behind it and this world-renowned training that you're receiving and let yourself be puffed up. Don't come through this place and because now you've learned something and now you've been equipped and empowered, don't come through this place and somehow think that it is you that has something to offer to this world because God has chosen the nothings and the nobodies. Remember who you are. Remember that aside from Christ, you have nothing. To the weak in this room, some of you, there are different types of people. Some of us in this room, we really are struggling with pride and with arrogance. 
Some of us really do puff up to the proud. I'll speak to you in just a moment. Some of you, however, you would rightly assess yourself. In other words, you do see in yourself that you're weak. You do see in yourself that you're not worthy. And I say to you, you see it rightly, but don't believe a half lie. See, there's truth in what you're seeing. And the truth is you're really not worthy. The truth is you really don't have anything to boast in. But the lie is in the idea, the implication that you are somehow on your own and therefore you have nothing to offer to God. You do. A broken heart and a humble spirit and an eagerness to serve him, that's what he wants. And I say to you, weak, give that to God and anticipate him doing something mighty for his namesake. So first of all, note with me in the text that God chooses and delights the weak things of the world. Also note with me, secondly, verse number 26 through 28, notice also secondly that God seeks to confound the wise. That means he seeks to shame them or to stump them or to shock them. Notice what it says. There aren't many wise, there aren't many mighty, there aren't many noble. But rather, God has chosen the foolish things of this world. Now watch this. Why? Why is it that God has chosen the foolish things of this world? Well, it says this in verse number 27, to put to shame the wise. So for those who do want to bow up and boast in themselves, those who do want to puff themselves up, listen, you have, first of all, not only nothing to boast in, but second of all, you have something to be concerned about. Because God seeks to shame that person, not to lift them up, not to bless them. He goes on, God has chosen the weak things of this world. Why did he do that? Well, to put to shame the things which are mighty. Again, to the one who will bow up. Look at verse number 28. The things which were despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, that means the nothings, that's what he's chosen. Why did he do it? Listen to this, into verse 28. To bring to nothing the things that are. In other words, those who do seem to be established, those who seem that they do have something to take pride in and boast in, God raises up the weak things, the foolish things, the nothings and the nobodies to bring them down. Consider how we see this again. This isn't just a point in 1 Corinthians 1. Again, we see this throughout the entirety of God's word. We see it in the basic little simple stories that we teach our children in Sunday school. Consider Noah and the ark. Here's this man who simply is a friend of God, who loves God, that God seeks to show mercy to. And think about how everybody else scorned him and mocked him. And yet God raised up Noah and God condemned the proud. Consider Moses and Pharaoh. Here's a man that struggles to speak. Here's a man that is absolutely terrified and tries to wiggle his way out of serving God and being faithful as many times as he possibly can. And yet God takes Moses to speak to the most powerful man in the world and say to him, Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And of course, you know the story. Pharaoh is not just resistant, he's quite obstinate. And so God does what? He delivers his people, the nothings and the nobodies, and he brings to nothing those that are. Look at the passage right before where we're looking today. 1 Corinthians, verse 18 through 25. There was a debate in my mind. Should I preach this whole passage? Well, 
Let me tie in the passage right before this. Verse 18, listen to what he says. And here's what's interesting. Paul is doing, showing us not only is there continuity between what we've seen throughout the old, whole Bible here of God humbling the proud and lifting up the humble, but now he's even doing that with the content of the message of the gospel. <laughs> listen to this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And you know what? It's 2017 now, and that's still true. The world that we preach to, the world that we seek to bring to Christ, they still think we're fools. That's okay. We have God behind us. The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Then in, in verse 19, he quotes from Isaiah 29, verse 14, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now listen to this. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, and it pleased God, hear this, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. That's right, the message that we preach appears to be foolish, but we preach it nonetheless because in it the power of God is on display. And it's not a philosophical formula. It's not a scientific idea that's changing hearts and changing lives and impacting culture in a positive way. It is Christ and his cross. And we still preach this no matter how foolish it seems. He says, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Listen to verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. To the proud, I say this, repent. Repent. We don't need to say that fancy. We don't need to be eloquent. Repent and humble yourself before God and remember who you actually are and let his power and his strength and his blessings flow to you. Thirdly, let me note one more thing and I'll be done. In verse number 29 through verse number 31, Paul reminds us of why it is that God has resisted the proud and why it is that God has chosen the weak. He says in verse 29, he does this, listen, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. He says the same type of thing, now quoting from Jeremiah chapter 9, verse number 23. I'll read that whole passage here in just a minute. But now in verse number 31, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So first of all, God does this so that we're not boasting. So that we're not boasting thinking that somehow the advancement of the kingdom is because of me or because of you. It is because of Christ and his power and his strength that he pours out on us. And we are not to boast in how God uses us. We are not to boast in our gifts. We are not to boast in our abilities or our accomplishments or our station in life, but our boast is in Christ and Christ alone. Jeremiah 9, verse 23 24. Hear this, hear this, listen. God says to, to us, let 
not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the strong man boast in his strength or the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth, for in this I delight, declares the Lord. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, Jesus says approximately the same kind of thing to his disciples. Here's the story. He sent them out to preach, to proclaim his kingdom. In the process of doing that, they also do some pretty spectacular things like miracles. They cast out demons, they heal people. All kinds of spectacular, miraculous things happened through the ministry of the disciples. And the Bible says that when the 72 returned with joy, they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. You can see their boast. You can see their puffing up. Look what we can do. And Jesus says this. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, hey, buddy, I'm eternal. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, Jesus says. But then he says this, and this is what I want you to hear. However, Jesus says, listen, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of heaven. A greater marvel than any of the gifts God's given me, a greater marvel than any accomplishment I have, a greater marvel than any position I hold is the marvel that God loves me and that God loves you. And I get to be his son and you get to be his daughters, that we get to be children. Why is it that God picks the fool? It's so that we don't puff ourselves up and rob God of his glory and honor. But there's also something else. Look at verse number 30. This is a very interesting verse. It's kind of variously translated in the translations and therefore I think can be maybe a little bit clumsy for us as we read. Let me just try to distill it if I may. But of him, he says, you are in Christ Jesus. Now watch this, who became for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So in other words, look, even the things that you're tempted to boast in didn't come from you. They came from Christ. And so what's he saying? Not only should we not rob God of his glory and honor, but Paul also wants to make sure that we keep our faith in the proper object. The proper object of my faith is not my abilities, not your abilities. It's not our training It's not any of these things that are in us. Our confidence, our faith is in the one who took on flesh and walked among us and hung on a cross and raised himself from the dead three days later. That's who we have our faith in. That's who we look to. God has chosen the nothings and the nobodies. Let me close this way. Some of you have heard, you've seen the articles, you've heard Dr. Aiken talk about it. Something's happening in the life of our institution that we are thrilled about. We had the opportunity about a year and a half ago to start work towards 
a prison program where we would go into Nash Correctional and we would begin offering a Bachelor of Arts in Pastoral Ministries to train men in that context to be pastors in the prison. These are lifers. These are murderers. These are people that are probably never going to get out. They have done crimes that put them there and they deserve to be there. But in the process of being in prison, many of them have come to faith in Christ. And now we seek to train them to be salt and light in that context for the remainder of their time. We've gone through a long process of building and we've gone through a long process of evaluating possible candidates and we selected 30 inmates to join us in this program. Let me tell you about these inmates real quick. They are desperately afraid that they're gonna fail. They have no confidence whatsoever in their abilities, in their background or their training right now and they're terrified that they're gonna flunk out. Moreover, they're deeply honored and humbled to the point of just silence before you when you talk to them that, that, that they even have this opportunity. And here's the thing I want to point out. They want to be like you, desperately want to be like you, and I want them to be like you too. But I watch them, and I want to be like them. And I want you to be like them. And that is a proper evaluation of yourself. Desperate, desperate for God's blessings and God's peace and God's strength on us as we set our hand to his work. So let me ask you a question as we close. How is it that you esteem yourself before God? Do you consider your gifts, your talents, your training? Or do you consider the magnitude of God's grace in your life to call you to himself? Let humility and joy mark us and shape us. And may that be the continued posture of our lives before God as we together seek to build his kingdom. Great God, we love you. And I thank you for your mercies and your kindness. I thank you for our students, for our faculty, for our family. I pray that, Lord, you, by grace and patience, would continue to work in us to keep us rightly postured. I pray that, God, you might help us never to boast in what we've done or where we've succeeded, but may our boast be in your son. We love you. We give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.